Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 181 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is August 8th, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans. We'd love to answer your questions on the show. So if you have any questions, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com or give us a call 206 206- 888-6755. That's 206-888-6755. Leave us a voicemail. We will play your voicemail on the podcast and answer any questions that you have for us. We've got a couple of those voicemail questions coming up today. And uh, we are a few days into fall camp 2011. We're going to start off the show with Coach Harvey Hyde getting his thoughts on what's going on with this team. Coach, how you doing? Ryan, I'm doing great, buddy. Uh just getting ready. I'm going to be out of practice tonight at the Coliseum uh, where they have a little scrimmage going at 7 p.m. and I'll go out again on Wednesday and uh, when they're in pads and I'll have an opportunity to be uh, more up to date than when you just run through play. So I'm looking forward to seeing you there tonight and uh, we'll be able to talk more about the Trojan football team next week after we've seen them. Yeah, it's been uh, an interesting week so far. I guess they started on Thursday, two days with no pads, and then uh, Saturday and Sunday they put the pads on, really saw some intensity from the defense. So it's been really interesting, and tonight's the first day of full pads. Lane Kiffin really wanted to put together a scrimmage that's like a real game right away. A lot of young guys getting in there, so it should be a really interesting uh, scrimmage tonight. And uh, before we get into all that, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Go to sctickets.com or call 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. Sporting events, if you want to go to the theater with your wife, your girlfriend, husband, whatever. If you want to go to concerts, lots of good shows, anything like that, you can go to sctickets.com. And, of course, if you need USC football home tickets, there's there's seven home games this year, Coach. There's a lot more opportunities to see the Trojans in L.A. I think that's exciting to be able to get out. And and this is the year you want to buy season tickets because you're going to see a lot of home games and big games. And it's exciting to get out there and uh, watch uh, Trojan football. And I certainly enjoy all the pregame hype, too, the tailgating and so on, and our pregame show that we do there. And uh, and then, of course, our Trojan brunch show on Sunday mornings that we do uh, from your neck of the woods down there in Manhattan Beach. So, you know, it's getting close now, and camp started at uh, mostly all uh, campuses, and football season is here. It is. I think everyone's excited just to see, just being out in the field, coach, and seeing some of the hitting going on, being able to talk to the players. The off-season workouts are fun. We're down there covering them. But when camp starts and they put the uniforms on, especially when they put the pads on, you just get a better understanding of, of what's going on out there. And, man, just just seeing more bodies. Lane Kiffin said, I think they had 102 uh, guys in uniform, so way more than what they had in the spring, way more than what they had last fall. They, you know, they can actually run. Uh, a scrimmage where you have you know two or three offensive lines and and same thing with the you know linebacker core and so there's a lot more bodies out there and it gives these young guys an opportunity to show what they can do but it also gives the the veterans a rest and it's more options for the coaches when 
you have you know three offensive lines that you can actually go through instead of sharing one offensive line on both sides for a scout team for first for second it doesn't matter so it, it just gives this this coaching staff a lot more options now it, it really does and i'll tell you it gets you ready to play football you know you can't learn how to play football walking through things or not tackling and so on and remember last year usc had to do a lot of that because of lack of depth depth and, and injuries and they didn't tackle well early and so on and then they finally went back to hitting you got to hit the way you've learned how to play football is play football that's both as an offensive player and a defensive uh, player. You've got to learn to hit a uh, moving target if you're an offensive player. You've got to learn to be able to tackle and settle up if you're a defensive player, or cover people on routes and so on, and don't miss tackles. And the only way you do that is by scrimmaging. Now, I always felt you could hit too much. You could hit your team out. So I always felt that when you had a scrimmage, it had to be something that was real important, really brisk, really meant something, had to mean something in the depth charts and so on. But uh, because I, I sincerely believe you learned a lot by going through technique and understanding what you're trying to accomplish when you do go to team scrimmages. You've got to practice individual groups. You've got to practice inside, outside, seven-on-seven, seven, all these different things so that kids understand the purpose and why you're doing it or why you're attacking a certain way, wide side, short side of the field, how to learn where to line up on the field, what motion does to a secondary. And, you know, chalk talks are great, but kids actually learn on the field. So I started to move my meetings that we had in the rooms or in the offices. Uh, of course, we watched all the tapes there, but all the new stuff I wanted to teach on the field. So we would go on the field and walk through all the things that I'd be drawing on a board. And the reason I used to do that or have my coaches do that was because you draw it on the board, then you go back on the field and you walk through it again. So you're wasting time. You're doing something twice. Why not have twice as much time explaining the purposes and why you do certain things and do it in a situation where they have hash marks, middle of the field, uh, red zone, different things so kids can picture the entire process, not just look at a board that you join plays on. So, yeah, I, I really do. Uh, uh, you know, one thing I want to mention too, Ryan, everyone's uh, talking about how enthusiastic this group is out on the field, and Coach Kiffin has said that many times, and the reporters have been writing about that. If you remember, when you and I did one of our earlier shows this summer, we said, and I said, looking and watching your videos, that I've never seen more enthusiasm and more players on the field participating than ever before in 7-on-7 seven seven and 11-on-11 seven, and, 11 11 and so on. This group has a different attitude. I really do believe this team has a different attitude. That team a year ago had a lot of question marks. I think this team has got an attitude, and I think an attitude is very important to being successful as far as lining up and you have a purpose of why you're out there and what you're trying to accomplish. And uh, I think this team is going to be very aggressive as long as everyone keeps it simple, everyone understands what they're supposed to do, and they stay where you don't overhit them. I think it's very important you don't overhit a football team. That makes sense, Coach. Um, well, let's get to some questions here. We've got a bunch of questions going in. And uh, we, we are seeing a lot of hitting, and like you mentioned. I don't know. There wasn't enough hitting, I guess you could say, last year and in the spring. 
I mean, in the spring they did more, but like now they're going to try to hit more. So we'll see. I mean, maybe he go overdoes a little bit, but it did look like so far that the defense was really getting after it, and they seemed to be playing with a little more reckless abandon. I think you you know they weren't being hesitant. So we'll see. There is a delicate balance there, coach. We'll have to see how that all works out. Well, I guess we'll start seeing some of that tonight at the Coliseum. Well, I agree with you. And remember, the defense is always ahead of the offense. First of all, the defense has seen this offense. It's not like they're playing against a team they haven't seen before. They're prepared to go against USC's offense because that's all they've seen. So they know what to expect and how to attack it and do this and that. And basically, I know they're going to get basic fronts and so on because if I was Coach Giffen, I wouldn't allow the defense to go crazy against me because you're not ready to block all those different schemes and stunts and so on. So uh, the defense will always be ahead of the offense at this stage of the game. So, uh, you know, you've got to learn through mistakes. I hate to say that, but the way you learn the best is through mistakes. And uh, obviously in their first couple of scrimmages, they've made some mistakes offensively, a couple of interceptions, things where bad decisions were made and so on. And those things have got to be cleared up. You're better to throw an incomplete pass than to throw an interception and not try to thread the needle or something and have a positive drive become a negative situation with a change of possession or something. And that is something that the quarterbacks are going to have to learn to do. You can't continue turning the ball over and putting the defense in a poor position and changing the momentum of a football game. You can't do that. And that's something I would say is the number one thing that has to be changed so far this year. Uh, all right, well, let's get to some of these questions. Uh, first up, we have Mark. Uh, not really a question, but he wanted about what, what can we post some pictures of the new video board on the website? And we had J.K. McKay on our Ustream show uh, on Thursday, and he talked about the uh, video board being huge, and um, it looks like it's going to be ready for the first game. So we will be out. Coach and I can see it firsthand. We'll take some pictures tonight at the Coliseum. So, Mark. We'll be able to post those up. I can't wait to see that, Coach. I just want to see. I guess they have posts and stuff there. We'll see at least how big that board's going to be. Well, we saw in the spring they're working on it. It's huge. It wraps around almost the entire closed side of the west end of the Coliseum. I can't wait to look at it myself. And I hope they have it working tonight, too. That would be great to be able to. I hope they're practicing on it and so on to make sure that they get the right angles and the cameras and so on so we can observe, too, because I'd like to see some of the plays rerun and so on, as I hope they're going to plan on doing for this season. Yeah, no, they should. I don't think it's. I don't know if it's quite ready for that. Maybe it is. I'm not sure what state it is right now, but we'll see uh, what goes on with that. But thanks for that, Mark. Uh, Tarion wanted to know. He said, Coach, last year in response to my question, you indicated that the seven-on-seven drill focuses on the passing game, executing and defending. Is there a similar drill besides running a, a full team eleven-on-eleven that focuses primarily? on the run game there certainly is and before we ever went to 11 on 11 we always taught the techniques of running certain phases of our offense we used to call it the inside drill where you had center and two guards and two cones being the tackles and ran our entire inside offense drills against the defense live it worked it, it made the defense be a better defense it made our offense block live people. We started, of course, blocking shields at first, and then we'd move up and we'd block live people as the practices went along. We did this every week. Every week this was part of our, uh, our drills. We didn't just do it during camp. We have to continually 
teach your backs how to what they're going to see in a game as far as traps and reads and so on and uh, different parts of the field and so on. So we used to do that. We would do that, and we'd have safeties behind there, like strong safeties or free safeties, so that if the back broke through the line of scrimmage and we had a great play, then the strong safeties would have to learn, or the free safeties, how to make a tackle on a back in the open field. And also the back would have to learn how to make a move to get away from it. So this is something we would do real quickly over and over and over, and we would tape it and tape it and tape it and show it over and over and over in our meetings and so on, and that's the way we would teach our inside drill. Then we'd go to our outside drill that we called, where we'd have our tight end and guards uh, if we had a, a sweet call or some play, play like that, and we would have our, our receivers and defensive backs on the other side of the, the field, and we'd work our outside drills, which would mean – we would come out and run all our outside plays where our receivers had to learn how to be physical, block a defensive back that was trying to come up and make a tackle, and our backs would have to make their breaks or moves or whatever they had to do to be able to uh, make the play work. We'd even crack back, and uh, when we ever worked on our crack back blocks, we would, of course, have the inside guy have a bag, teach the rule, and they're really going to enforce that rule this year as far as blocking down outside the tackle yeah. where you can't leave your feet. They're really going to enforce that rule. So that would be something I would be working on now to teach your guys how to block down so you don't get a penalty on that. And then we pull guards or leave with the fullback on the corners or strong safety. So these guys have to learn how to fill and how to make a tackle on a play. And we'd make it a tougher situation than what it would be for the offense in a game. Then occasionally we would throw in – a pass or a sweet pass, and everybody would laugh because the, the receiver would come out and fake a block and go by the receiver or by the defensive back, and we'd throw a touchdown pass because the defensive secondary was cheating, obviously. So we had to keep them somewhat honest. So we would do this to the left. We'd do it to the right. We'd run all our outside drills. We'd tape it all. And we'd have to teach our receivers – that the, their part of the football team is as important as the blocker as it is as a receiver. You're a football player. You've got to remember that all the techniques that you do, you have a responsibility on every single play, whether the play's towards you, away from you, a route, a draw, whatever. You've got to learn to be in position to make that block so that that running back can make its move. You don't watch the play to say, oh, he got through the line of scrimmage. I'm going to make my block now. No. You go out and make your block. You don't even look at the play. You stay on the guy the entire time, and uh, if, he, if he does break through, you're not looking to see. You'll watch it on Sunday when you see the tape. So, uh, yes, there are many drills you do. Goal line situation drills, short yardage drills uh, that you do like you do 11-on-11 uh, 11 11 or 7-on-7, seven seven, the same thing. All right, Coach. Yeah, and typically at USC, they, they call it like a team run or a nine-on-seven, and they do it on the Brian Kennedy field on the side, somewhere in the middle of practice where the uh, starting receivers and corners are off with uh, some of the quarterbacks doing one-on-ones on the outside, and then everyone else is inside, um, and it just focuses on the running game. They'll throw some passes every once in a while, but it just focuses on the running game, and it gets all the coaches fired up when, when a big run is broken or a play is blown up. So it, it's definitely uh, – Fun to watch out there. Um, well, here, thanks, Terry, for that question. Here is one on 
uh, the uniforms, Coach. This one's kind of interesting. Good afternoon, Ryan. Good afternoon, guys. I just had a question about the uh, USC uniforms. I know that there was some negativity about using going to the alternate the alternate jersey because of tradition. And uh, I was just wondering, you know, trying to compete with uh, other universities like Oregon um, and, and other universities that have gone to alternate jerseys. See, that's what excites the young people today. USC, uh, if they did that, they won't uh, damage their tradition. It will be just as strong. Uh, I try to use the example of, um, of the, the, the Lakers in basketball. They have the most strong tradition, and yet on Sundays they went to an alternate jersey, the white jersey, on Sundays at at, at home, and um, uh, it didn't hurt their tradition. It's just something I think with the sanctions and all the other negativity that the kids can't do. It seemed like it would be something positive to say, okay, you can do this, another reason to get excited for. Um, I don't understand why the uh, traditionalists are pushing back on that. Uh, like your comments, yours and uh, and the coach's comments. Thank you and have a good day. Bye. Well, thank you very much for your question. First of all, the reason the University of Oregon changes its jersey so much and so on, it's a Nike school, and you know who supports the University of Oregon, and that's Phil Knight, the owner of Nike. The more he can promote different color shoes, socks, jerseys, helmets, and all of that, which are probably given to the University of Oregon, by Nike, the more he starts trends for other universities to want to do that. The more jerseys he sells, the more products he sells, the more shoes he sells, and everything else that goes along with it. So it has helped market the University of Oregon because everybody says, I wonder what they'll come out in today, uh, what what uniform they'll wear today. And as uh, Coach Kelly said the other day, he he's the last to know what they're going to wear. It's probably decided in the equipment room, he says he's got to worry about what the players are doing on the field, not what they're wearing. Uh, I think that's something that's probably been put at the University of Oregon, maybe not by the coaches or tradition, but also by what Mr. Knight would like to have them wear. And uh, I think that is something that is a marketable thing, and and everyone talks about it. That's why the question was even asked today. Uh, I'm a little bit different. I'm more of a traditional type of guy. I'm one that likes to be able to turn on the television and say, oh, that's Michigan playing today, or that's Ohio State playing today, or that's USC playing UCLA today. And I really like when USC and UCLA went back to their home jerseys and got that approved by the NCAA to be able to wear that in their home games because their colors do not conflict with each other and so on. I'm one that doesn't believe you need to put a name on the back of the jersey. Some universities have the name uh, on the back of their jerseys. I remember when Randall Cunningham came up to me and says, Coach, we want to put our names on the back of our jerseys. I said, don't worry, Randall. I said, if you do enough out there, they'll find out what your name is. And uh, I, I'm one that believes in tradition. I'm one that when you see a team, you know who it is. Uh, when your alumni players and alumni come back, they know what team you are. It's something that's been established. I see a lot of teams now going to the black uniforms and black trim and so on on their jerseys, and I say, why are they doing that? Their colors aren't black, but they don't have that in their colors and their schemes and so on, and and I'm not really sure why they're doing it. Arizona State has a new uh, helmet or uniform this year, and I, I'm not quite sure. I haven't seen it, but I've heard that they have some new color schemes now in their uniforms at uh, Arizona State. 
the changing of the socks at USC. They're going to a black sock this year. Um, you know, of course, that's not my way of doing things, but if Coach Giffen wants to allow that to happen and so on, and the kids they think they're faster, whatever the point might be, then so be it. But I'm one that would uh, say you wear the traditional same sock that Marcus Allen wore or whoever, uh, you know, and I don't think the sock's going to make a difference in your play. Uh, I'm not necessarily one for the C on the jerseys for the, as the captains at USC. And you know, the captains at USC, has a, they have a C on it. And, uh, you know, I can go through every university and tell you what I like or what I don't like. It's just my opinion. I don't think you have to distinguish who your captain is. I think everyone knows who your leader is and who your captain is. Uh, I'm not quite sure if Nike uh, instructed uh, USC that you would have to do that since they're a Nike school. I don't know. But they might have said, since you're not going to change your pants or your helmet or your jersey for us, we want you to start a C on your jersey. Maybe other schools will pick that up too, and that will be another way for us to market more jerseys. But uh, I don't know what happens behind the scenes or the purpose for that, but if a captain came up to me or an equipment guy came up to me and said, we want to put C on on our jerseys to, to let everybody know I'm a captain, I'd say, you don't have to do that. I know who our captains is, are, and our team knows who our captains are, and uh, we don't need to put a C on your jersey. But a lot of these things are governed by what school or what uh, company supports you. And if you're a Nike school, a lot of times in these contracts, they dictate some things that you have to do because they do send you equipment, so many pairs of shoes and this and that and socks and whatever. You have a nice uh, amount of equipment that comes to you from these different uh, sponsorships. But, uh, no, I'm one of that is a traditional type of person. I'm one that says, hey, if if these other players can wear this jersey and it's the same. I mean, Notre Dame did it. Remember, they come out with a green jersey or this colored jersey and that colored jersey, and then it flops. You lose, and then what do you think <laughs> after the game? Right. We're going to burn the jerseys? You know, uh, we've, we've done that before. We've buried a set of jerseys and, and when we haven't played well uh, just to try to get people to say, hey, you know, well, that isn't going to happen again. You think I'm kidding you? We've done that. We've all come on uh, the Monday and dig a hole and bury them all. And, uh, but there's certain things you do as a coach, but that's one thing that I'm not really uh, big on. All right. Uh, we've got a couple more we'll try to get to before we let you go. Coach um, Jamal, who's not a big Lane Kiffin fan, said, Matt Barkley twice talked about his arsenal of weapons in regards to the talented receivers and backs he has this year. Would it be fair to say that Lane Kiffin cannot put these guys in space and get the matchups that SC, that SC should consider, at least consider downgrading his play calling rights? There are coaches out there who can do it like Mike Leach or Mike Sherman at Texas A&M. No one has out-recruited USC in the last five years, and it's time to show some dominance or get away from this traditional offense we are in. What are your thoughts on that, Coach? Well, uh, you know, you, you always want to have success. You always want to be able to win. And, uh, you know, uh, if you're not winning at a certain level, then there's always questions that are out there saying, should we change this? Should we make a change in coaches? Especially the new trend now is uh, – before you get it as a head coach, you change your coaching staff. You blame your coaching staff, and you make coordinator changes and everything else. Myself, uh, I believe at USC, if there's a better group of receivers in the country, I want to know who it is. I really believe that USC has the best receivers in the country. 
uh, I would say players who are not playing would start on many other teams. Most teams, they're great players, great receivers, great athletes, great speed. Uh, I don't know of a player out there that couldn't really play uh, in another Pac-10 situation or whatever. They are great players. Uh, as far as the running backs are concerned, they're young, but they're skillful. skillful. I think that they're, uh, they were as good as uh, a high school football player anywhere in the country when they came to USC. Now, uh, what you have to do, of course, and I've said this over and over, you've got to put them in a position as long as you're re- with your receivers and so on and the schemes and offense that you recruit to, to be successful. Uh, you've got to be, have an uh, idea of what your offense is and defense is, and you recruit to that. And you say, this person fits perfectly into what we want to do. So in your mind, as an offensive coordinator, as a coach, you have a philosophy. And you've got to be able to know what it is. It's like playing chess. You've got to be able to say if they're running this offense or that defense or whatever that's going on, if they do that, we're going to do this. If we run this play and that play isn't working, then obviously they're stopping that play because not, at our, not because our guy isn't good enough to block that guy. It's because they have two guys to why one guy or whatever that situation might be, and you must be able to adjust immediately, not wait till halftime, not wait till the end of the game, or watch it on Sunday and say we should have done this. I think you have to be simple. You have to execute properly. You don't have to have a lot of plays when you have better players than other teams, but you've got to put them in a position where they can be successful. And you've got to be able to spread the field, and you've got to be able to attack the defense. And you've got to make the defense question themselves of what you're going to do and how you're going to attack them. What philosophy you use, and uh, whether it's a Mike Leach type of offense, obviously that was very successful for Texas Tech and Mike Leach. He he was tremendous. It was fun to watch play. And then Arizona tried it. Other schools have tried it for them. It hadn't been that successful. Yeah, they've won more games, but it hasn't been Texas Tech. So you've got to have a philosophy. You've got to be able to run that philosophy properly, and you've got to be able to use your personnel to the utmost of their ability where you can win and beat other teams uh, with what your philosophy is. And I think SC has the potential. I think SC has great players, and I think that uh, demonstrating their skills is part of the coaching staff and putting them in a position to win. And uh, just to follow up on that, Coach, Jamal, I think you're a little too harsh on, uh, I know know, you're not a big fan of Lane Kiffin, but he went through, I'm not saying he's going to be the most successful coach ever. I don't know, but he's only been there a year. He went through the craziest, most uh, you know, unforgiving offseason that wasn't his fault uh, coming through there. There's a lot of talent on this team. There are a lot of weapons. They're all unproven, or a lot of them are unproven. You have Robert Woods and a bunch of guys that you're not really sure about. I mean, Kyle Prater could be a superstar. He's never played a down. George Farmer, five-star guy. He's never played a down. Uh, Marquis Lee looks amazing. Victor Blackwell. You know, even Bryce Butler, who's coming back with a bunch of experience, hasn't played all that much. I mean, there's not a lot of proven talent on this team. Yeah, they're weapons, but we haven't seen them perform yet. I don't think you can blame, you know, Lane Kiffin that Kyle Prater redshirted and all that stuff. So, I mean, there's, you know, we haven't seen uh, DJ Morgan yet. He could be a, a huge home run threat. You know, there's a lot of unproven talent on this team. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I just think it's a little too harsh to come out and say you got to strip Lane Kiffin of his play calling duties already. He's been there one year. I think you have to give him a little bit of time and get, you know, guy, this is the first year he's going to have enough players to scrimmage against each other. You know I mean? They didn't have enough offensive linemen before. So I think there's a, there's a lot to be said. You got to wait, you know, wait for this year at least, and then uh, kind of take a look back 
and see what happens. And then, uh, Coach, one last thing from Ed. He says, I like the fact that competition determines who starts and who gets to play. However, I feel this staff and Carroll's the last couple of years leave questions out there too long. When players don't know if they're starting or not, they lose confidence. At what point does that become detrimental? Just because you tell a guy he's the man doesn't mean he can't lose a starting job. For example, it's all well and good that Red Ellison is practicing at fullback, but then he loses reps at tight end. More importantly, he takes reps away from younger fullbacks. I understand they are young, but it's even more important to give them reps to develop and gain confidence. Just my thought. I think we use the excuse of players being young and inexperienced too much. We have the players four to five years. We're going to have to. We're going to have to use that. Give the players a chance to step up, and you'll be surprised at how, yeah. Excuse me, you'll be surprised how many who do, not how many who don't. Well, you know, uh, I agree with that. I think that uh, you have to let your team know after camp or whenever you decide to put your depth chart out or tell them who your starters are. And I believe there's a rhythm to eleven guys playing together. 11 on offense, 11 on defense with substitutions on defense for different schemes or down-distance situations and so on. On offense, I don't believe that you should have to substitute every darn down for a certain play that you're going to call. I think you should be able to have players, especially at USC, where you can run 11 guys in there and you can run series of plays and they can, they're in shape enough to drive down the field and do whatever they need to do to complete a drive for a field goal or touchdown. Uh, I don't like to do a lot of substituting. I like to give a responsibility to someone and say, here it is, you're the guy, get it done. If you can't get it done, there's someone else that can take your place and someone can move up. I believe that the substitution portion of going over and over in substitution takes the rhythm out of your offense especially. I really believe that. I believe a guy's got to have a feel of the game. He's got to be able to be in there for a long period of time. Uh, saying he's not conditioned is a cop-out. You better be conditioned to be able to go 15, 20 plays in a drive without looking to the sideline, pointing to your chest and say, I need a break, I need a break. If a guy would look to me and say, I need a break, I'd take him out and I'd say, go home and sleep it off. Uh, you know, you've got to be able to be tough and ready to go. In the old days, guys could carry the ball, not old days, but normally days you can see backs carrying the ball 40 times, 35 times a game, as last year Bradford did and Tyler did at times. And I, you play yourself in the shape. If you're running on and off the field all the time, you're not playing yourself in the shape. You play yourself in the shape by playing football, by conditioning your mind and your body with techniques and your thought of how – you organize your different schemes at different plays and different timings of plays and so on by being in the game, by handing off the football, by seeing what happened the last time you ran that play, the next time they run that play, you know what happened the last time, you might do it differently. So, yeah, I'm one that likes to give their positions to somebody, and uh, the rest of them, yeah, they're backups. You know, they're not going to be happy being backups. And that's one thing you've got to remember. People aren't happy when you're great players and you're not playing. Now, to answer the second part of that question, if the best player is a freshman and he can start, he's going to play. I want you to know that right now because the team knows who the best player is. I'm going I'm to tell you right now, if you allowed your teammates to name the starting lineup at every position but their own, they'd put the best player on the field 
every single time. Why? They know who the best players are. When the best players aren't playing, then they say, what's going on? He's better than him, or he can he has better hands than him, or he can block better than him. So I think the best players have got to be on your field or find a place to put them on the field. You've got to have your players playing, otherwise you are making a coaching error. And uh, kids today aren't stupid. Kids today know what you're asking for. Kids today know when you're having or playing favoritisms. Kids today know when you yell at one and you don't yell at the other. You've got to treat everybody the same. All they want to know is where they stand and what they have to do to play. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff, and uh, thanks for all the questions, everyone that wrote in. And uh, thank you, Coach. We'll see you out there tonight at the Coliseum, and we're looking forward to talk to you next week after you soak in a few practices and get your thoughts on what some of these players are doing. I'll see you at the Coliseum tonight, buddy. All right, Coach. Thanks again, and uh, thanks to our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. We're going to be back in 30 seconds talking to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have on the line uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber, who's been out to every practice watching this team, going through all the drills, getting ready for the scrimmage tonight at the Coliseum. How's it going, Dan? Pretty good. and Enjoy it. They're uh, long practices. It's uh, getting used to uh, uh, last year. They were longer practices, but they uh, uh, didn't have as many players. There's a whole lot more guys to look at this year. Uh, and uh, just a lot more talent on the field, more athletes, more guys uh, uh, you just want to kind of pick up on. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I think the players themselves have been sort of caught up in, wow, we've got a whole lot more guys. You know, the, the offensive linemen, you know, after a couple of years of kind of being one deep some days for drills, you know, look around and they got three, uh, you know, three full units to go. And, and so uh, they're, they kind of like it. But it does change the dynamics of, uh, you know, everyday practice. No, it does for sure. And uh, just having some new five-star, four-star talent in the ranks there that look like they can play, I think it's going to make a big difference. And we, that's probably our first question. Uh, Evan wanted to know, two of those guys, how uh, Lamar Dawson and Andre Walker look so far. Lamar Dawson, the uh, linebacker from Kentucky, and Andre Walker, the big offensive lineman from Cleveland, Ohio. Well, they're both getting a lot of chances. I think they're both perfectly situated with uh, Andre as a uh, uh, middle linebacker on the uh, second unit. and uh, I mean, Excuse me, Andre is an offensive tackle on the second unit and Lamar uh, in the same position behind Gallipo on the, on the second unit. So they're getting a lot of quality reps. Uh, both of them are bigger than you expected, even though you expected them to be uh, – Pretty, uh, you know, uh, big, good-looking athletes. Uh, Lamar came in at 240, and uh, uh, bigger, stronger up top, uh, and uh, probably long, a little longer limbed. He just has a, a slightly different 
uh, look to him, uh, not a typical freshman look. Uh, and then uh, you look at Andre, and he doesn't look like almost anybody you can think about. Uh, he, he He's not like oversized in a way that, say, I remember, if you remember Deuce Latui, who was so humongous, and he was about 335, and, you know, Andre's, you know, 32 pounds bigger now. He probably wants to lose some of that, but it's not a real obvious uh, situation where he, you know, has to lose a lot of weight or uh, looks like he's just, uh, you know, too big to play. Uh, I, I think both of them are are physical and deliver blows in, in ways in which uh, you like to see freshmen. I mean, they like to engage people, and they like to deliver uh, shots. Uh, they've got an aggressiveness about them um, that, uh, you know, you, you don't always see with freshmen. Uh, you know, they just are, are naturally, uh, you know, physical and aggressive. And, um, uh, you know, you got to like what you see with both of them. Uh, and, and you like the way that – they're not being, you know, forced into anything where they have to play or they have to do this or that, but they're getting plenty of uh, chances to, you know, learn what they've got to learn and, and uh, show what they can do. I know, I think with Andre uh, on the offense, I think it's probably easier, even though normally an offensive lineman might be the hardest place to go when you're a freshman, true freshman. I think they've tried to make it really simple and by starting him at, at the tackle spot, uh, you know, and possibly working him in the guard. Uh, you know, they they really want to, uh, you know, not overload him with too much. I mean, it's asking a lot, though, for Lamar uh, to come in and play middle linebacker as a, as a true freshman. Uh, so you would guess that they're – and Gallipo's looked really good. So you would guess that uh, – and with the other, uh, you know, uh, guys like Will Andrew, Dallas Kelly – uh, they've got a, a lot of numbers at that middle linebacker, uh, so you could, you know, if, if Gallipo can play um, uh, as much as it looks like he might with his, uh, you know, experience, his health, uh, he's running really well, his weight looks good, uh, that they won't have to force Dawson in there, but that they're going to give Dawson plenty of chance to play. And I guess there's also the option that they could move him outside a little bit, but. I'm thinking the way you look at the linebackers now, they're really going with athletes who can just really, really run at that outside, uh, at, at those outside spots. And the guys they've got in there now, uh, you know, Shane Horton, Hayes Pillard, uh, you know, Marcus Simmons, Deion Bailey, all can can really fly. And I thought it was interesting at media day, Lane talked about what 630 of the 800 and some snaps. Uh, against USC last year were either three or four wide receiver formations. So uh, you need to be ready to, you know, defend the entire field uh, with with really good quickness. So what, what USC's done with uh, uh, the defensive ends by bringing Kennard back to a defensive end, uh, you know, to put athletes on the edge with uh, uh, Horton, uh, Wes Horton and, uh, uh, and Nick Perry, uh, along with Kennard, and then and then really quickening up the outside linebackers by moving Deion Bailey up from safety uh, tells you that you know they're going for you know quickness and kids who can run, uh, and so uh, we're we're getting to see an awful lot of stuff, uh, you know, and an awful lot of guys are getting to play, and uh, those three-hour practices uh, they're getting in. I mean, you know, they in four practices they've probably gotten in as many plays as maybe. It took them uh, six or seven practices last year to get in. They, they just couldn't 
run that many plays because uh, he didn't have enough bodies. Yeah, I agree 100% there, Dan. And we're getting to see a lot more action out there, which is fun. We should see a bunch tonight. Um, one of the other questions, this is a voicemail question. This is, it has to do with some of the uh, freshman offensive linemen, including Andre Walker, and where they fit in. Hi, this is Ryan. Well, I mean, I'm up in the... Wait, Dan, here's a question. And my question for the podcast is, they expect the two freshmen to start on the offensive line uh, from the beginning of the year. I'm speaking mostly about uh, Walker and Hobby, the two uh, highly recruited offensive linemen, considering the, the issues we have on the offensive line. Do you really expect those two guys to be able to start from day one, or do you expect that to be more of a transition uh, as the season goes along, one or both of those guys? Uh, grab a spot there on the offensive line. Thanks. Uh, I would definitely, you know, unless there are injuries, uh, be surprised if uh, if any either one of them starts uh, from day one. I, I think that may be pushing it. Having the three home games early in the year gives them gives you a chance to transition in. I know Lane said at media day, at Pac-12 media day, that. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be impossible to have two freshmen starting. He he just wouldn't see them uh, uh, starting next to one another. But uh, I I'd be really shocked. That would be shocking. I, I mean, I, I just think right now Walker looks like the only one who's physically uh, capable of of playing uh, in this group. I mean, I and people probably. Uh, I mean, I think, for example, a guy like uh, Abe Markowitz, if his foot holds up, uh, uh, he's really a good player. Uh, he can play both guard spots, I mean, you know, uh, and, and center. And so, you know, I, I'm looking there first uh, if you're thinking about, okay, if we, you know, projected, uh, you know, the guys who've been playing, uh, uh, you know, on the first uh, unit, which would be uh, – you know, McAleo at left tackle, Kevin Graff at right tackle, uh, Callan Holmes at center, and the guards that they switched around from left to right, but John Martinez now on the right side and uh, and Jeremy Galton on the left side. If you're going to pick a guy who would be the first guy to go in, uh, I, I would think it would be Mark, you know, uh, Markowitz right now. I, I would think uh, he's looked uh, healthy, good, he's strong, he's explosive, you know, former shot putter, he's a real smart kid. Uh, you know, unfortunately, missed last year with, uh, with that uh, foot fracture he got in the last week, right before the Hawaii game. But uh, uh, I, I would look that direction first. Then Andre Walker, I think he certainly does have a chance to to move in there some, somewhere or, or or get significant playing time. He's just, uh, you know, I mean, again, a lot of that'll be determined. They've only put 25% of the offense in right now, Lane estimated. So. A lot of that will be determined by uh, how well he's able to pick it up. I like what they do when they bring in and uh, they'll have, a, you know, McAleel, you know, sits next to uh, Walker in, in all the offensive line meetings. Uh, they have Marcus Martin, uh, uh, you know, rooms with Matt. Uh, Kevin Graff was talking about how they kind of, you know, are mentoring the younger guys and that, and I think they're doing a really good job of that. So I think they're – they're bringing them on, but I think it's in a transition uh, situation. I think uh, it's awfully. I, I think the offensive line isn't as uh, in, in as dire straits as, as people think it is. Uh, I think uh, you know just the numbers situation uh, from the last couple of springs. I think has made everybody you know uh, very conscious of uh, 
of the offensive line, and you had a number of guys uh, graduate last year. But but I think there's a lot of quality there, and uh, uh, it may turn out not to be the you know the situation where you needed to bring in freshmen to uh, you know play immediately. I, I would be surprised, and, and again, I'd be surprised if anybody other than Walker is uh, capable of starting. I, it just doesn't look like uh, uh, they're in that situation yet. And Hobby has looked pretty good at practice and stuff, and we'll, it'll be fun to watch them all tonight and through the rest of fall camp to see where they kind of fit in. But just, just having the number of bodies there seemed to be doing wonders. Right. I mean, Hobby, you know, I think Hobby uh, probably needs a little physical maturing. Uh, he just, you know, might not quite be uh, be there physically. I think he's got a lot of good, you know, he, he's one of those guys you just think, okay, he's going to be, you know, ready to – to make the next step, and maybe even by the end of the fall, you never know. Uh, uh, it's just uh, it would be asking a lot. Uh, I, I would think he's a little undersized, at probably not not even 280 yet, uh, and, and that would be that'd be a challenge. Uh, so uh, we'll see. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, the future offensive line looks you know looks pretty good. I think Marcus Martin's going to get his weight down to to where it has to be. I think uh, Cody Temple we haven't gotten to see because of his back. He's an aggressive, you know, tough kid. Uh, uh, we'll see. Uh, it does seem like they've got him in the right place, and they've got, you know, they've got kids with talent. Uh, okay, JJB had a question on redshirting any of the new receivers. Uh, Robert Woods. Is, I mean, I'm sorry, Robert Woods. <laughs> George Farmer's been out there, Victor Blackwell, Marquise Lee. Do you think USC is going to redshirt any of these new guys? Well, I think they have to. Uh, and I think you, you talked to Coach Baxter yesterday, and he said uh, uh, that decision will be made at the end of the year, not uh, not you know not now. Uh, they let the kids you know kind of decide for themselves, and they let the, you know circumstances make those calls. Uh, but uh, you would be surprised if uh, if they didn't have to uh, you know decide eventually that one or two of those kids are going to get redshirted. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think there's, there's just not enough playing time, uh, you know, for all of them. And uh, um, I think, uh, as Kyle Prater, you know, showed, uh, you know, there's some real value, uh, you know, in giving a kid an extra year coming out of high school. So, uh, yeah, I think without a doubt, they'll, you know, some of those kids are going to be redshirted. And that's the strategy also, I think, to deal with the out years in the uh, uh, scholarship sanction situation. Uh, yeah, no, I think that, that, that'll help out there. And, you know, it, it could be like a George Farmer comes in and does really well on one of the kick return teams, and maybe that stops him from getting a retro. I mean, I think it could be special teams contributions. Uh, Baxter told me yesterday, like, they're trying everybody everywhere on special teams. So if if one of those guys steps up, or maybe it's Marquis Lee or, or whatever, for whatever reason, if one of those guys steps up and, and becomes a key role on one of the special teams units, it's less likely for him to redshirt that way. So it's not just going to be receiver, but also be where they can contribute on special teams too. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we'll see how a farmer does, you know, maybe paired up with, uh, you know, Woods and an all fair kickoff return backfield, you know, and, and whether he's, uh, you know, sure enough in that situation where they can block the way CJ Gable did, uh, you know, as the off guy back there, he's certainly explosive enough. He's certainly powerful enough. He's certainly, uh, you know, fast enough to really, you know, contribute there if uh, if that's something that, that he wants to do and, and, and can do uh, well, I think they would give him a shot there. And I think they're probably going to have a couple of special 
kinds of uh, opportunities to get him the ball, uh, maybe on reverses, maybe on that uh, where they just throw that dart on quick hitch out there and hope, uh, you know, somebody, either a defender goes for the ball or goes for George and misses, and he just takes it up the sideline and just, you know, runs past people. Uh, I think he's going to get some opportunities in some special situations to see if his special talents, uh, you know, can be, you know, can pay off this year. I think George will definitely get, uh, you know, a chance to show, uh, you know, and, and he's a freshman. I mean, he had some struggles the last couple of days, uh, you know, catching the ball, uh, you know, more trouble on easier catches. Uh, he can make some, you know, really, really good plays, but it's, you know, it's a big, big adjustment. I mean, the thing you forget about him, he's got an NFL body. I mean, he's a high, he was a high school player in an NFL body. When he walks by you, he looks like uh, uh, he should be walking out with the Jets or somebody. I mean, he just has that really unusually mature, athletic, uh, you know, strong, explosive, uh, you know, six, uh, you know, almost six one, I guess, two oh five. Just looks like uh, he ought to be in an NFL uniform. So, uh, and yet he's still, you know. Uh, hadn't played, you know, down yet against college players. So, uh, but they're going to give him a chance. I guarantee you, and see if that, you know, special talent and, uh, you know, all those skills that he has, uh, you know, can be brought to bear this year. Um, all right. Here's a question from Lance. He said a little while back, Pat, Pat Hayden noted the travel inconvenience to the team from the Notre Dame night game, which will likely reduce time to prepare for Stanford. We play Cal, Notre Dame, Colorado, all on nationally televised night games, two on weeknights. Can you ask Dan how the staff is going to adjust these unusual preparation travel issues? As always, thanks to you and the staff for all the great coverage. Well, I guess the one thing that where you really do benefit is, uh, uh, is, is you're coming west. So, you know, they're going to get home, I think, right now. The tra- travel plans after Notre Dame is 2.30 in the morning, uh, so I doubt if that's going to change things that much if they'd had a West Coast game, uh, you know, two hours uh, time difference. So I, I'm not sure that that's the difference. I swear the difference will be that entire day in South Bend uh, or in Michigan City uh, waiting for the game. I mean, that's going to be a really long Saturday. Obviously, they're going to sit there and watch college football, and they're going to probably have them out in the parking lot for a walkthrough and they're going to occupy them in meetings and things like that. But uh, I think the challenge in the Notre Dame game is playing that, you know, first ever night game uh, in South Bend with Notre Dame. That'll be, uh, I think it's that part of the the, uh, travel schedule and the adjustment to uh, the night game that I think is more difficult there. Uh, I do think uh, uh, the Cal game, they they at least have 10 days. You know, that's a, there's not a Saturday game before that. So that's a, that's a plus. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Notre Dame, you know, gives them a little bit of a short, I mean, a shortened by just a couple of hours, you know, to get ready uh, uh, for, uh, uh, let's see, after Notre Dame, they come back and play Stanford, and they played Cal the week before, but they've got nine days off, or they're nine days between Cal and Notre Dame, and then uh, Stanford is is a Saturday, the next Saturday, but I think that, you know, they're only going to lose a couple of hours to get ready for uh, for Stanford, and before the Cal game, again, they've got 12 days to get ready for Cal on Thursday night. So uh, the fact that they're all road games uh, makes it 
you know, I'm, I'm not sure if that actually helps or hurts when you when you think about adjusting to different, uh, you know, time, uh, you know, days of the week, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday for those three road games. Uh, I think it probably hurts you more in adjusting at home to your classwork and things like that, you know, for the week, uh, you know, the games that won't be played on Saturday. Uh, but uh, I think actually it's probably almost easier to adjust uh, for a road game uh, you know, it's a different, uh, either at a different time or a different day than it is for, a, you know, a home game, uh, because you kind of really lock in your home, uh, you know, Saturday home preparations. One of the good things we're seeing, I guess, in this fall now, it's kind of uh, a challenge to us is, you know, they've got about nine different starting times for practice, you know, from early morning to, you know, late at night. I mean, we will probably be still in the Coliseum tonight at 11. I'm, I'm almost certain. Uh, so uh, I think the preseason uh, practice schedule is actually going to get them ready for uh, all different game times and all different starts and what have you. Uh, I, I think this is going to you know, work out to their benefit. But, but it, it's definitely something they have to factor in. Uh, how they're going to do it, we'll see. I mean, I wish, uh, you know, I'm a, a believer in the walkthroughs. I, I love the walkthroughs on the road. And uh, with the uh, kind of unique places they're going to be going, uh, you know, first-time places. Uh, this will be the first time Lane's taking a team to Notre Dame. And uh, you have them there, you get there Thursday night, so you'll have them there all day Friday. One of the big, you know, fun moments of uh, every other year for us has always been the uh, walkthrough at, at, at Notre Dame Stadium in South Bend, you know, and you see, you know, Joe Montana's there and Anthony Munoz is there and uh, all that kind of, you know, it's just kind of a neat thing. So far, Lane has decided no walkthroughs, you know. Uh, uh, so that gives you a long day on Friday on top of a long day on Saturday if you don't go over to Notre Dame, if you don't go over to the campus. So uh, well, I'm not sure, uh, you know, Lane's much more in the NFL model where you show up, uh, you know, for the game, play the game, and go home. Uh, and so uh, we'll see how that works out. But that does give you a lot more time on your hands, let's say, on a on a two day trip, uh, you know, back east uh, when you're going to South Bend. Um, all right, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do there. It's, uh, I know a lot of USC fans want some revenge uh, for what happened in the Coliseum last year. A uh, couple of quick and, ones, and they oh. also like the idea. Of a lot of USC fans spend all day on the campus at Notre Dame on Friday, and and you know it it breaks up the day, and you know they all show up at the stadium and and. You know, Notre Dame's getting ready for their big pep rally, and they got their band, you know, breaking up all over campus and playing around campus, and there's thousands and thousands of fans. And if the USC team shows up, usually they got that bus, you know, the bus is rocking, you know, back and forth and all that kind of thing, and and park right next to the stadium, and there's, you know, probably uh, almost always like a 1,000 or so fans waiting for them to get off the bus on, on Friday even. And uh, it's, it's kind of a big pick-me-up, so uh, we're we're lobbying <laughs> to get Lane to, you know, uh, uh, if you're going to do, uh, you know, think about doing one walkthrough. Do that one at South Bend. That's always a lot of fun. I think one of the challenges was Pete Carroll did those walkthroughs so well. They were just so choreographed in ways in which, uh, you know, no one else did them that it's uh, that it's almost a challenge for if you're the next guy coming in, uh, if you're Lane, that's just not what Lane does. He's he's not into you know the kinds of uh, you know uh, game playing and all that that kind of stuff that uh, that Pete did. And there are you know all kinds of successful ways of doing things. 
so, uh, uh, you know, we'll see if uh, how that plays out. But we are going to be lobbying to see if we can get them to do uh, do one walkthrough at Notre Dame. Okay. All right. And then last couple of questions here. Um, JJB again was asking people like Steve Dillon, when they get released from their letter of intent, does that free up an extra scholarship? And so he was a guy that um, didn't make grades. And then, um, you know, he actually went, I forget where he went. He went elsewhere. Um, Marshall. I believe. Marshall. Yeah. He went Marshall. over to Marshall. So, yeah, I mean, so, but yeah, obviously that frees up a scholarship. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was uh, there's no issue there. We're still waiting on two uh, Javaris Allen, uh, the big running back out of uh, Tallahassee, um, and Junior Palme from the Inland Empire, the tight end wide receiver. So we still haven't seen them. Lane Kiffin said maybe this weekend, which was this past weekend, we didn't see them out there. So maybe we'll see them tonight at the Coliseum. Right. He was pretty optimistic. I'm more so. I think he surprised all of us uh, last week when he he uh, seemed to be pretty optimistic that they and, and and some of that might be just trying to be real optimistic. You know, with those kids who were both. Uh, finishing up their final high school course. I think in Junior Palmay's case, it was some kind of an oversight where the, uh, the high school didn't realize that, uh, you know, he'd missed, uh, he'd missed something or they missed, you know, they, you know, sometimes it's in the way the course is described or exactly how it's counted and they can be close, but not quite uh, to one of the core curriculum courses. And so, uh, and I don't think anybody at USC caught it or it seemed like it was, uh, you know, a course that, you know, you know, they gave him uh, what he needed, and then uh, they finally, you know, somebody saw it and uh, realized, nope, you got to go back and finish that up this summer. So uh, uh, they seemed pretty upbeat about him. And, you know, after most of us had probably said, you know, maybe we won't ever see Buck Allen, uh, Lane was much more positive uh, about the possibility of, you know, Buck Allen getting through uh, his final course and, and being able to uh, – to be on campus. So uh, we'll see. I would think tonight ought to be able to, you know, we ought to be able to get a, a, you know, a fairly definitive answer about those two guys. Okay. And then one last thing. We didn't have Gerard on this week, so this is kind of a recruiting question. We can get your thoughts, and I'll, I'll weigh in and stuff as well. Um, a couple of people want to know how many offensive linemen USC is going to sign. I think Gerard's addressed that a bunch of times before. There is a lot of uh, great, talented offensive linemen, but, to, you know, I think some of it's going to depend on how this group looks. Uh, right now, we've seen a lot of good talent from uh, this group. Uh, but the other one was, um, with limited scholarship offers, why did USC offer uh, all these running backs? Russell, uh, Kelvin York, uh, Pinner, um, they're committed. And then what about you know Ryan McDaniel, uh, who had an offer, and Byron Marshall, who did not have an offer. We actually just got an offer, so there's another one offered. And just quick thoughts on that. I think a lot of it is that, I mean, Lane Kiffin has to keep options open because there are limited scholarships. I think there might be some offers out there that maybe get dropped off later. Uh, there's a scholarship offer, but you know maybe they're not going to recruit the kid anymore any longer. It just depends on what goes on. I think Lane Kiffin needs to keep his options open. And there's a yeah. I mean, yeah. you're competing. For example, I was reading the Chicago Tribune this week, uh, this weekend, and there's a kid who is the number one prospect. At uh, in the state of Illinois, 300-pound defensive lineman. Uh, he <laughs> and the story was he got called w- uh, within a half hour on I think it was Saturday, telling him from one from Michigan, one from Notre Dame. He was within a half hour also of 
announcing he was going to commit to Notre Dame. He got a call from Michigan a half hour earlier saying, we're sorry, our offer, we just got a kid from somewhere else in the country, and uh, uh, we're going to have to retract our offer. Uh, so then he said, okay, well, that makes it clear. I'm going to Notre Dame. Right before he called Notre Dame, Notre Dame called him and said, we've got, we just got a commitment, and we don't have a, a scholarship available for you. So the kid, number one player in the state of Illinois, got two rejections back-to-back within a half hour from uh, uh, Michigan and, and Notre Dame. So that's the world you, you, know, you exist in out there now. And those, those are schools that aren't under any limitations scholarship-wise uh, and uh, not hesitant to do that, you know, to the number one player in Illinois. So uh, I think we're going to just have to let the offers and the retractions and the, you know, the development of this year's freshman class and all that play itself out. I, I would probably not try to overthink the numbers and the offers and all of that. Uh, it, it's probably not, you know, it, it's not something you can really figure out at this point in time. I just think you have to offer kids, and I'm sure, you know, and clearly with every offer is the understanding that we have a limited number of scholarships. I mean, even if you've got full scholarships, there's a limit. And uh, so I think with all those offers, there is a limit to, uh, 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 you know, it's not, a, uh, it's not an unlimited offer. It's not like, uh, right. you know. Yeah. And I think you need to get in early. Limitation. Yeah, if you can get in early on some of these kids, um, even like a, a Jake Rodriguez, who they offered, it was a committed to Oregon, uh, a quarterback. When you, when you do something like that, you're at least in on him early. So if something weird happens and Barkley leaves and a kid transfers – you didn't offer the kid at the last minute. You kind of kept your op. You you started in a little bit early. So just starting the process, I think, a little bit early. Maybe not with the intention of recruiting them later, but with the potential to recruit them later. I mean, Lane Kiffin really has a tough job over the next few years. So I think he's going to be pulling on all the stops and doing whatever he can to 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 make his you know be able to make these last second moves if he has to at any time just to fill up the class. Right, you don't want to turn somebody off that you don't really have to. And you might think we've got really no shot at this kid, but why not tell him, you know, you could play for us. We like you. We would, you know, we would take you. You know, right now we would absolutely take you. And, you know, you still, you might be sixth on that kid's list, but you just never know what how it might play out. And there's no sense in, in alienating a kid or making it seem like uh, you can't play for us, you know. I mean, he may go somewhere else, but, you know, you don't want him mad at you. You want to say, hey, you know, we like you. Uh, we may not have enough room for you. know, We may not have room for you the way this all breaks down. But uh, well, I think the kids understand that. The kids, you know, have no hesitation to, you know, saying, well, I'm committed to so-and-so, but I'm going to visit these other four schools, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, everybody, you know, seems to be doing that now. So I think there's kind of an understanding that uh, – you know, how this is all playing out. But but you just, you know, you tell a kid, hey, you know, we like your talent. We like your, uh, you know, your classwork. We like, we think you'd fit in here. And, uh, you know, probably the good thing is those kids are going to go somewhere else. But, you know, they respect, you know, that USC coaches treated them, uh, you know, uh, fairly and didn't, you know, put them down or anything. And I think that's probably a very, uh, you know, uh, you know, very smart way to do it. So uh, don't overthink who's been offered, what position, and what does that mean? We don't even know how – I mean, we're already – we've seen this freshman class. They're here. They're out there on the practice field. 
we still have no idea how a lot of those kids are going to develop. So the idea that you can figure out, you know, kids that haven't even gone through their, you know, uh, senior year of high school yet, and how that's all going to play out is probably overthinking it a little bit. Right. Well, that's the world of recruiting. <laughs> uh, but thanks. That uh, is the world of recruiting. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dan, for uh, coming on and joining us and answering all the questions. Thanks, everyone out there for asking those questions. And I'm sorry we didn't have Gerard on again. It's been a little crazy with fall camp starting, but we'll try to get him on next week and get to more of your recruiting questions. But thanks again, Dan, and uh, we'll see you tonight at the Coliseum. Very good. Okay. All right. Thank Looking you. Looking forward to it. See yeah. you and everyone else will be back next week talking USC football on the Peristyle Podcast. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 